to the Missionary on the Mountain podcast, where we discuss all the pertinent social, religious, and political topics of the day. Join us weekly for scripture, news, interviews, and insight into the issues that matter to you. Broadcasting from 8,000 feet deep within the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, consistently conservative and unapologetically Christian, here is your host, the Missionary on the Mountain, Kenny Easton. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 8 of the Missionary on the Mountain podcast. I of course am your Missionary on the Mountain, Kenny Easton. As usual, we always appreciate your feedback and suggestions. You can contact me directly via email, missionaryonthemountain at gmail.com. I would appreciate uh, anything you have to say, whether you agree with me or not. So you can also contact us, as usual, on Facebook. Missionary on the Mountain podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you can listen to a podcast. Let's get into today's agenda. So, first I'll give you a quick update about the things that are going on at camp. Um, Those of you who have been listening, not a lot has changed. Uh, We're kind of getting into the down season here at camp, Um, but we'll cover the few things that have. And um, we're going to have a particularly relevant scripture of the week, as well as words of wisdom and some news. But most importantly, today we will be talking about abortion. But let's get started with an update. Mission Update Well, Mountaintop Retreat, uh, back up and running, of course, with, um, after we were denied that exemption, as I told you guys last week, um, but that won't affect anything except the length of camps next year, which, uh, may be a blessing in disguise since we have an opportunity then for more kids at shorter intervals. So we may be, as a result, be able to witness to even more youth, um, so please keep that in your prayers, and, and thank you to those of you who have been praying for us already in that respect. So a reminder, uh, I set up the chapel to record and broadcast any of our speakers or programs, and we are going to be trying a live stream during our annual Christmas concert that takes place this year on December 1st at 2.30 p.m. We have um, 20-some acts. Uh, it should be just over an hour, and it should be uh, just a great program. Um, I'm certainly looking forward to hearing everything. So be sure to tune into that, and uh, we will probably also put that out on radio broadcast on MXLR Mixler. Um, as we approach that date, I will give you more details. So, uh, on the home front, our eight laying hens, like I told you last week, are doing great. Uh, I think we're averaging between six and eight eggs a day. Uh, So, as a result, I've learned to poach an egg and make hollandaise sauce since we have so many eggs. Uh, I got sick of just frying them or scrambling them, so... I'm uh, learning a lot about cooking eggs, and they are big, beautiful, healthy birds, and uh, they're giving us lots of great, great eggs and nutrition, so we're thankful for that. Um, Let's see, we have one of my longtime friends, Jeffrey, visiting at camp this week, so it's been fun having him here and showing him what life's like here on the Western Slope and at camp. Um, 
He's seen and played with the puppies, who are now almost seven weeks old and nearly ready for their forever homes. Um, he spent time with me, with Jennifer, with my brother. Um, let's see, we've eaten lots of local delicious food, including chickens that Jen and I raised and Brussels sprouts that came out of the garden, um, and plenty of delicious local beef. It's always fun to have great friends and uh, good food, and so we're always thankful when they can come into town and spend a little time with us. So it's great having Jeffrey here. Finally, raised puppies are healthy and beautiful. Um, they're less than two weeks until they're ready to go to their forever home. So if you're watching on YouTube, you'll see here a few recent videos and pictures of them. Um, the mother, Ray, is an AKC-registered English Cream Golden Retriever, and Mattis, the father, is a pen-hip-tested yellow Labrador Retriever. Um, the puppies have been to the vet twice, and the dew claws have been removed, and uh, they will be up to date on all of their shots and everything in the next couple weeks, so. Um, if you're interested and you're listening and want to see pictures or whatever, you can go down to the links below. So as always, we need your support. If you would like to support our family through our mission organization called In Faith, please click the link in the description. Uh, you can also support this podcast directly by contributing on the Anchor platform or wherever you are listening to this podcast. Uh, you can also send in donations to Mountaintop Retreat and make a note that is for the assistant director. I am a missionary and my livelihood in our ministry and this podcast depend on the generosity of our donors so please consider joining our support team it is greatly greatly appreciated ah uh, so let's see uh, i suppose there is a bit of news so let's get into that extra extra news from the pews so let's start off with this impeachment inquiry there's not a lot of news since last week but the biggest news, I think, is that the is that they're finally open, having open hearings. So Schiff and Nadler have finally decided to hope, uh, hold open hearings and listen to these quote-unquote witnesses starting next week. So there will be more to come on that, but uh, my prediction, and I've thought quite a bit about this, and we'll get more into this in a later episode, but I think that impeachment will probably happen in the House um, but I also think that Trump will be reelected, President Trump will be reelected to office and will never be removed from office because that has to have, uh, I think, a 60% majority in the Senate. And that, in the way, at least the way things stand now, is not going to happen. So, <clears throat> next, the presidential race. First of all, Beto, Beto O'Rourke is out. Um, he skated right onto the scene just as gracefully as he skated off of it. So um, better days ahead for Beto, I'm sure. Uh, good luck, Beto, in the future. I, I never thought really he had enough steam. The media tried to give him some steam, but uh, it just didn't help. He was very awkward and the skateboarding thing didn't help him a bit. So let's just move right into it. Today we are going to spend most of our time talking about abortion. And those of you who are regular listeners know that we always request prayers at the end of the episode for people fighting to end abortion. We 
each and every day in America. Today I'm going to talk uh, a little bit about my journey from pro-choice in my ignorant youth to my current, much more informed pro-life position. I'll tell you the facts, images, and reasoning that led me there, and I'll encourage you to take an informed stance as I'm about to. So first, in in high school and early college, um, if you would have asked me if I was pro-choice, I probably would have said yes, and gave some kind of her body, her choice, regurgitated answer that I had heard from a teacher, professor, girlfriend, most likely. Unfortunately, I never received enough pushback and evidence at that time from the other side of uh, the argument, aside from at church, but barely, and especially from my mother. Now, you would think that I would take my top in her medical field mother's advice in the matter of abortion over anyone else's, but that unfortunately isn't how the rebellious teenage mind operates. So I went on in my ignorance. Which brings me to my first super important point in this particular discussion. Parents, grandparents, teenagers, friends, pastors, cooks, brothers, sisters, talk about the evils of abortion and the joys of the alternatives with the younger people in your life. If you don't, they won't know. They will only hear what a fallen and ignorant world tells them. They will only hear quote-unquote, her body, her choice, never considering the unique individual that we're about to talk about that is robbed of life. Of course, in order to talk about abortion with the people you love and want to help requires a couple key things. First, love. Understand that most of the pro-abortion crowd is coming from a place of ignorance. They've been told that it's not a baby, it's just a clump of cells. Or, it's not a human life until it's viable and can survive outside of the womb on its own, among other lies. We need to not shame and hate mothers who struggle with these questions. We need to show them the truth in love, without judgment, or condemnation, or or anything. We, we have to offer the alternatives in a loving way in order to save these lives. For us to reach these mothers and help save the babies that are being killed by the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands each year in our country, we need to be armed with the facts and be ready to answer any question. In 1 Peter 3.15 and 16 it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So for the rest of this episode, I'm going to give you as many facts about abortion as I can in order to equip you to talk about abortion boldly, gently, and lovingly. I'll put all of my references in the description below so that you can cross-reference and further research everything we're about to talk through. So, first, the focal point of most arguments about abortion involve where life begins. When talking to a reasonable person, whom I find to be the only people worth engaging in these types of debates, 
I try to find common ground in murder, in killing. I want to make sure that we both agree that it is morally and legally, should be legally wrong, to take another human being's life. Incidentally, the vast majority of people wholeheartedly agree with this assertion, as they should, but that we should not kill each other, of course. If they don't agree, I would suggest backing away very slowly and not engaging that particular individual. Now, the logical question becomes, when does life begin? Because if you can't take a life, then you can't kill a baby in the womb if that baby has life. So again, when does life begin? I generally would give an opportunity for the other person if I engage somebody in this discussion, leading them if necessary with questions like, is it a baby at nine months, at the moment before birth, right before it's born? But what about the week before? This usually leads to the viability argument where they assert um, that human life only begins when it can live on its own, separate from its mother. To which I would ask... If we use that standard for the elderly, who cannot survive without assistance, or let's say with special needs of varying, or of varying severities, who could not survive a day on their own without significant help from another human being or machine, or, or for that matter, would any single baby survive a day without the care of another person, of their mother? Of course not. But but does that make these individuals less human? Is their life any less valuable? Does God see them as any less significant? No, of course not. So I find the viability argument untenable. But let's say, just for playing devil's advocate, even if... I granted a 20-week or a 13-week viability cutoff or somewhere in the middle, which a lot of studies have shown it's very possible in most cases. What makes the one-week younger baby? What if it's if the line's at 20, what separates that from the 19-week-old baby? Why is the 19-week-old baby a clump of cells and the 20-week-old baby a baby? What changed in that one week? where we drew the line, where somehow it was magically granted life as opposed to being a clump of cells. The truth is, our question now has changed from when does life begin to what is life and when does life begin. So let's define life. So Webster says there's three to start off definitions for life. The first is the quality that distinguishes a vital and functional being from a dead body. The second is a principle or force that is considered to underlie the distinctive quality of animate beings. And lastly, a organism state characterized by capacity for metabolism, growth, reaction to stimuli, and reproduction. So the Encyclopedia Britannica says life, living matter, 
and as such, matter that shows certain attributes that include responsiveness, growth, metabolism, energy transformation, and reproduction. Although a noun, as with other defined entities, the word life might be better cast as a verb to reflect its essential status as a process. Life comprises individuals, living beings, assignable to groups. Each individual is composed of one or more minimal living units called cells and is capable of transformation of carbon-based and other compounds, hence metabolism, growth, and participation in reproductive acts. I know that was a mouthful. The question I like to ask is, if we went to Mars and found a group of two or more cells that had the capacity for metabolism, growth, reaction to stimuli, and reproduction, would you consider it to be life? By the scientific scientific definition of life, we would have to. We'd have to consider it life. Then why are we so hesitant to say that life begins when an egg and a sperm form a unique cell with its own unique DNA and genetic code, capable of metabolism, growth, reaction, and reproduction on a remarkable scale. We are hesitant because we've been lied to. We've been kept from knowing that from the moment of conception, a sovereign, unique individual has come into being and it is deserving of protection and a right to pursue happiness. Our constitution mandates it. Science and our Bibles support it. If these small clumps of cells are indeed sovereign individuals worthy of dignity, protection, and opportunity, then killing them is never okay. It shouldn't be safe, legal, and rare. It should be illegal and non-existent. It should be discouraged. That being said, I'm not in support of punishing mothers. Nor do I think that legislation should treat them criminally in any way. The doctors that perform these heinous acts, however, should be held accountable for all the little arms, legs, fingers, and toes that they saw with their own two eyes as they murdered these babies and should be held accountable for all the faces of little babies, little unique individuals that were robbed of life at their hands. They should be called to account for their crimes. The mothers need our help. They need to know their options. A return to emphasizing premarital abstinence from homes to to church youth groups would go a long way in teaching our youth the best way to not get pregnant until you're ready for children. Until you're in a stable, married environment. This next point might not be overly popular in more conservative communities, but contraception needs to be talked about, at least at home. Because you know it's being talked about at school. And we need to lift the stigma, which is another super important point for this conversation. Talk to your kids about sex. Let them hear it from you. You need to educate them as parents, especially as Christian parents, about the dangers and temptations and the joys within a marital context that sex can bring. The more you address, the less comfortable it will become. 
and more importantly, they will know that they can come to you for advice should they make a wrong decision and, God forbid, consider abortion. However, if you find yourself advising against an abortion, remember the alternatives to taking the life of a beautiful, unique baby. So LifeNews.com estimates that there are about 2 million couples currently waiting to adopt in the United States, which means there are as many as 36 waiting families for every one child who is placed for adoption. Your baby could have a full, healthy, productive life with a family that loves her. The other option is, of course, to keep her. Don't forget to remind the mother that there are churches, family members, friends, and agencies that are eager to help her financially, mentally, and spiritually, as well as with care and supplies for her beautiful baby should she decide to keep and raise her baby. Don't just say these things. Help, help her do them. Be a help in her hardest time and point her ahead towards the joys of motherhood, not away from them. Do what can you can to be an encouragement. Don't judge and, and, and guide these mothers with love and gentleness. Well, now that we've established that it is morally and legally should be wrong to take a life, and that the only logical time a life is created is at conception because that in that moment it becomes a unique individual with its own DNA and genetic code capable of growth, reaction, and reprodu reproduction. It stands to reason that we should not kill a baby at any moment after conception. This ultimately, ultimately leads to the what about questions. So let's deal with those briefly. What about causes of, or cases of rape and incest? To which I respond first with sympathy. No person should have such horrible atrocities done to them. Rape is horrible and wrong and I fully condemn it. Incest as well. So is murder. So should be the murder of a baby, an innocent baby who did nothing to deserve being killed. Why should we put the baby to death for the heinous sin of the father? Do we apply that logic anywhere else in society? If my father robs a bank, do they come and put me in jail? Should they come put me in jail? If my father commits rape, should I be put to death for his actions? then why is it okay to kill a baby for his father's sins? It's not okay. It's still the taking of an innocent life. However, in debate over abortion, I may, I may ask, if I were to grant you the less than 0.5%, half a percent of the roughly 1 million abortion cases each year in America, if I granted you those 5,000 abortions each year. Would you agree to save the lives of the other 995,000? Would you be willing to save the lives of that other 
95.5% or 99.5% because I would consider that a huge win for the pro-life movement. If we could save 995,000, I would consider that a big win. Next is the it's her body argument. To which I simply respond, whose body is it that's being aborted then? Do the little baby body parts have the unique DNA of the mother or their own? Their genetic code or their mother's? If it has the same as the mother, you're removing an organ. You're not aborting a baby. But that, of course, is not the case. Again, that baby is an individual from the moment of conception and deserves protection so that it has a chance at life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Next, the poverty argument. This position builds a straw man, saying that we only care about the baby in the mother's womb, but we aren't willing to take care of the baby and provide good social programs and give free care, etc., etc. This is a false argument. According uh, to philanthropyroundtable.org, a strong pattern that makes some commentators uneasy is the fact that, as Brooks put it, the electoral map and the charity map are remarkably similar. Or, to quote the Chronicle of Philanthropy's 2012 summary of its giving research, quote, the eight states that ranked highest voted for John McCain in the last presidential election, while the seven lowest ranking states in giving supported Barack Obama. This tendency is exasperated when you add a religious filter. Thus, the primary people advocating for legislation protecting the lives of the unborn are largely the same people who are donating their time and money to charitable causes that help the very people they claim to want to help. Just because these people don't want to implement wasteful government social programs and would rather put their money where their mouth is by giving to active, good charities in no way means that they don't care about these children after they're born. In fact, the numbers speak to the contrary. The next argument you hear a lot is, you're a man, you don't get a say. This is the stupid stupidest of all the arguments. My being a man does not preclude me from using my God-given ability to reason and speak in order to express my opinion on the abortion or any other topic for that matter. And while we're at it, you cannot get pregnant without the man's help. Therefore, men are involved in this discussion from the beginning, whether your bigotry likes it or not. In closing out this discussion on abortion, I'd like to read you some facts from the Guttmacher Institute, AGI, and from the Centers for Disease Control. The Guttmacher's numbers, published every three years, come from direct surveys of all known and suspected abortion providers in the United States. The CDC numbers, published annually, are, deri are derived from actual counts of every abortion reported to state health departments. Unfortunately, California, Maryland, and New Hampshire don't publicly report abortion totals. As such, 
some of the numbers are skewed. Um, and Guttmacher's abortion numbers are a little more complete, but they are more approximate. So these are annual abortion statistics. According to the Guttmacher Institute, an, an estimated 862,320 abortions took place in the United States in 2017, down from 926,240 in 2014. Guttmacher's selected annual abortion estimates for the last 20 years are listed on the website if you would like to check that out, but suffice to say that they were at their high in the mid-90s, early 2000s, and have been steadily declining. Uh, at their peak, it was 1,310,000, and now it is in the 800,000 range. So there is progress being made, but more needs to be made. In 2017, approximately 18% of U.S. pregnancies, um, excluding miscarriages, ended in abortion. 18%. According to the United Nations 2013 report, only nine countries in the world have a higher reported abortion rate than the United States. But that's actually skewed, too, because China doesn't report the real number. They only report like 19 percent, where it's probably like triple that. So um, there would actually be eight, uh, inter, uh, sorry, 10 countries that have a higher abortion rate in the United States. That's Bulgaria, Cuba, Estonia, Georgia, Kazakhstan, Romania, Russia, Sweden, Ukraine, and of course China. In 2017, the highest percentage of pregnancies were aborted in D.C. out of all the states. The District of Columbia. That's 37% in that state. 32% of New Jersey babies were aborted, and 31% of New York babies were aborted. The lowest, huh, That would, they all have something in common. Hmm. Make sure you are taking note of the commonalities in D.C., in New Jersey, and in New York. Higher populations, but also higher populations of cities, and also lower Christian populations. And then the lowest were... At 5%, 4%, and 2% respectively, Idaho, South Dakota, and Wyoming. In 2015, approximately 35% of all pregnancies in New York City ended in abortion. That's excluding miscarriages. Approximately 60 million legal abortions. Legal abortions have occurred in the United States since 1973. 60,000, or sorry, 60 million individuals' lives were taken from them without their consent. So who, who has abortions? In 2015, unmarried women accounted for 86% of all abortions. Among married women, 4% of pregnancies currently end in abortion. So if you're married, you are less likely to want an abortion. Among unmarried women, 27% of pregnancies. Compare that to the four. Four. 
Women in their 20s accounted for the majority of abortions in 2015 and had the highest abortion rates. Adolescents under 15 years. 15 years obtained only 0.03% of all of the abortions. Women aged 15 to 19% accounted for less than 10. So the percentages of 2015 reported abortions by the age of the mother, the vast majority of them happened between 20 and 34. Most of these are not the, the younger women and the older women. It is people right in the middle in the childbearing age, which could be coincidental, but also could be, um, well, we'll move on. Women living in, or living with a partner to whom they are not married account for 25% of abortions, but only about 10% of women in the population, so a large disparity there. Among white women, 10% of pregnancies currently end in abortion. Among black women, it is 28%. Of pregnancies and an abortion. Black women were more than three and a half times more likely to have an abortion in 2015 than white women. The abortion rate of non-metropolitan women is about half, half that of women who live in metropolitan counties. And in 2014, 30% of aborting women identified themselves as Protestant, and 24% identified themselves as Catholic. This is a problem. This is a problem in the church. We need to emphasize that this is not okay. Why do abortions occur? According to the same study, in 2004, the Guttmacher Institute anonymously surveyed 1,209 post-abortive women from nine different abortion clinics from across the country. Of the women surveyed, 957 provided a main reason for having an abortion. This table, or what I'm about to tell you, lists the reasons and the percentages of the respondents who chose it. So, we often hear victims... Um, of rape and incest. Well, this says that less than a half a percent claimed that it was because they were a victim of rape. Health problems and physical problems covered about 7% between the two. 4% said it would interfere with their education or career, and 7% said they were not mature enough to raise a child. 8% didn't want to be a single mother, 19% were done having children, 23% couldn't afford to have a baby, and 25% were not ready for a child, 6% were other. So in the state of Florida, record, um, they record uh, a reason for every abortion that occurs within its borders each year. In 2018, there were 70,083 abortions in Florida alone. Uh, this next info comes from that um, and lists the reasons and a percentage of the abortions. Um, now, most of them gave no reason, which is uh, kind of silly to make them provide a reason if they have no reason. So 75% gave no reason, elected to give no reason. Then the next highest ones after that, um, the woman aborted for social or economic reasons was 20%. 
The rest of them were among 1 and 2%, and that was uh, the psychological health and the physical health were both about 1.5%. Um, a serious uh, abnormality was 1%. The woman's life was endangered by the pregnancy was one quarter of 1%. Rape was, not, uh, was 0.14%. And the pregnancies, the pregnancy as a result of an incestuous relationship was 0.01%. So between uh, the rape and the incest, um, that would cover 0.15% of reported ones. <clears throat> so when do abortions occur? In 2015, 89% of all abortions happened during the first trimester prior to the 13th week of gestation. In 2015, 8% of all ab abortions occurred between 14 and 20 weeks gestation. 1.3% uh, occurred at greater than or equal to 21 weeks of gestation. Uh, the percentage of 2015 reported abortions by weeks of gestation are as follows. Less than six weeks um, was 34%. Seven weeks, 17, eight weeks, 13, nine weeks, eight, and it moves down from there. Um, and outside of the 20-week uh, era was only about 3%. And if you're looking on YouTube, I'll try to show you the progression at weeks of what the baby looks like at those particular times. And that will be according to the prenatal development um, site. So how does an abortion take place? Well, in 2017, medical abortions accounted for 39% of the abortions that would be medically induced. And in 2015, 73% of reported abortions were accomplished by uh, curatage, which uh, that's the dilation and evacuation procedure, which I won't go super into, but it's uh, basically dilate the cervix and crush up the baby and pull it out or vacuum it out. Medical abortions made up approximately 27% of all of the reported abortions in 2015. I would say, let's see, where's 96% uh, of the more than 140,000 second trimester abortions that occur annually, and if you're looking, that's the second trimester master, um, that occur annually in the United States are accomplished by this procedure, the dilation and evacuation, which is just a nice way of saying dilate the cervix, crush it, and vacuum out the baby. So who's doing these abortions? Well, in 2017, abortions were performed in 1,587 different facilities, um, and that was down from 2014. Uh, there were 808 abortion clinics in the United States, which is uh, in 2017, which is an increase from 2014. Between 2014 and 2017, the number of hospitals performing abortions declined 19% from 638 to 518. So there's progress being made at some fronts. So. Abortion with minors, 80% of minors having an abortion report that neither of the parents knew about the abortion. We need better communication. We need to be talking to our children. 
39 states currently enforce parental consent or notification laws for minors seeking an abortion. I won't list them, but you can look them up. The Supreme Court ruled that minors must have the alternative of seeking a court order authorizing the procedure. So, abortion and public funds. The U.S. Congress has barred the use of federal Medicaid funds to pay for abortions except when the woman's life would be endangered by a full-term pregnancy or in the cases of rape or incest. And I've expressed my opinion on that. 17 states, again I won't list them, use public funds to pay for abortions for some poor women. About 14% of all abortions in the United States are paid for with public funds, with your tax funds money you earned virtually all from the state level in 2014 88,466 abortions in california alone were paid for with public funds public funds paid for 45,722 abortions in new york That's 140,000 lives aborted in New York and California alone. California, New York, you should be ashamed of yourselves. America, we should be ashamed of ourselves. If you want to look at these statistics further, you can go to abort73.com slash abortion underscore facts um, and look these over for yourself. But again, they're from the CDC, among other sources. Abortion is evil. It ends a unique human life that God made, loves, and has big plans for. God numbered the hairs on your head from the very beginning of time. He breathed life into you at the very moment of conception, and he wants a full and happy life for each and every human life. I can't imagine what he thinks as he looks down at the nearly one million precious lives that we snuff out each and every year in these United States. And we still have the audacity to call ourselves a good nation, let alone a Christian nation. Well, we can change this, my friends. We can end this scourge on our civilization. But for that to happen, we need to talk about it. We need to tell our kids what abortion really is and how we can eradicate it by making good decisions and informing our friends and our peers and our family members. We need to make abstinence the primary option again, and we need to better educate ourselves on contraceptives, adoption, and the joy of motherhood, of fatherhood, of parenthood. Most importantly, we need to restore the respect and reverence we once had in this country for life, liberty, and the right to pursue our happiness. I think we need some scripture. Scripture of the Week this from Genesis 2, 7. 
The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. From Psalm 100, verse 3, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. From Psalms 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This from Isaiah 44, 2. This is what the Lord says, He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Also Isaiah 46. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all you who remain of the house of Israel, when you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Again, Isaiah, and now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. This from Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This from Luke twelve seven. <clears throat> but God even knows how many hairs you have on your head. Even the hairs on your head have all been numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth much more than many sparrows. Our final scripture, I think captures the horror we should be feeling over the abortion fight in America today. This is Exodus 1. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we will join, or they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for the pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. 
in all their harsh labor with the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, When you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. God blessed the women who were willing to stand up for the lives of the unborn Israelites, even to the Pharaoh. I truly believe that God will bless all of us who are trying to do the same in America. Join the fight. So, as you may have guessed, our words of wisdom for today have to do again with abortion. Words of Wisdom This first one, Pope Francis. Abortion isn't a lesser evil, it's a crime. Taking one's life to save another, that's what the mafia does. It's a crime. It's an absolute evil. This one, Abby Johnson. Abortion does not just hurt women. Abortion hurts a family, and it has a domino effect of hurting those related and close to those families through the grief and reality of losing a child to abortion. Abortion is not health care. A woman has a right to her body, but that is not her body. What about the baby? Alveda King. This next one, you may be able to guess who it is, but I'm going to read the whole quote. It's a long one, but an important one. Please don't kill the child. I want the child. Please give me the child. I'm willing to accept any child who would be aborted and to give that child to a married couple who will love the child and be loved by the child. From our children's home in Calcutta alone, we have saved over 3,000 children from abortions. These children have brought such love and joy to their adopting parents and have grown up so full of love and joy. Any country that accepts abortion is not teaching its people to love, but to use any violence to get what it wants. It is a poverty to decide that a child must die so that you may live as you wish. America needs no words from me to see how your decision in Roe v. Wade has deformed a great nation. 
The so-called right to abortion has pitted mothers against their children and women against men. It has sown violence and discord at the heart of the most intimate human relationships. It has aggravated the derogation of the father's role in an increasingly fatherless society. It has betrayed the gift, the greatest gifts, a child as a competitor, an intrusion, and an inconvenience. It has nominally accorded mothers unfettered dominion over the independent lives of their physically dependent sons and daughters, and in granting this unconscionable power, it has exposed many women to unjust and selfish demands from their husbands or other sexual partners. Human rights are not a privilege conferred by government. They are every human being's entitlement by virtue of his humanity. The right to life does not depend and must not be declared to be contingent on the pleasure of anyone else, not even a parent or a sovereign. Mother Teresa So as always, we'll end with a few prayer requests. Our family and our support through In Faith um, are dependent on you. Uh, we receive no payment from the camp. We are missionaries and we serve here. You can go to www.infaith.org slash Kenny-Jennifer-Easton to support us. Um, please continue to pray for Kara and her family. Pray for Colorado and our country and whichever state you are listening in and whichever country you're listening from. Um, we'll pray for our governor, Jared Polis, for our president, Donald Trump, for our vice president, Pence, uh, Mike Pence, and all our elected officials from our local officials on up. Um, and again, especially today. For all those fighting for the rights of the unborn and for all those who can't or refuse to see that this practice of abortion is a genocidal stain on our great Western civilization. Pray for them. We can and should end abortion in this generation. We have no excuse. Doing nothing in the face of this evil is unexcusable. If the science is clear, the Bible is clear, you are a unique individual from the moment of conception, and each and every individual deserves a chance at life, liberty, and to pursue happiness. That starts with not killing them in the womb. Pray for camp. As we move into winter, things tend to break when it gets cold outside, so please um, pray for our infrastructure. And then finally, thank you. Thank you guys for all of your, your support and your feedback. Um, yeah, I've got some really positive comments, and, and it's really, uh, really kind of you. And I thank you all for listening. So in closing, if you are pro-choice and you would like to debate me on this topic, if you would like to have a civil discussion, I'd love to invite you to have a civil on-air debate with me on this topic, I will invite you to my home and um, and we will have a great discussion. Um, so I invite you to do that. So tune, tune in next week for more news, scripture, wisdom, and a long-awaited dive into the Easton Library. So please share, like, subscribe, find us on YouTube, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Spotify, Anchor, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Keep praying for us as we continue to pray for you. God bless you and yours, and have a safe trip down the mountain.
The Missionary on the Mountain podcast is not affiliated with or supported by In Faith or any other mission or organization. We are not funded by nor beholden to anyone but our listeners. All words and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them. Find us on YouTube, social media, and your favorite podcast listening platform. Join us next week, and thanks for tuning in to the Missionary on the Mountain podcast.